Today's Your Stories is brought to you by Emporium Arcade Bar. Emporium's three Chicagoland locations combine the best arcade games, craft beer, and live events. Check out emporiumchicago.com slash cpc for a free drink or game tokens. Thanks, Emporium. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there. No questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So... Your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, my name's Eric Arnaud, and welcome to the most wonderful time of the year. It's Fan Fiction February on Your Stories. For the fourth year in a row, we've got a bunch of great speakers sharing their own reflections on the word fan fiction, and in the second part of this episode, you're going to hear the Nerdalogs dramatically read a He-Man and the Masters of the Universe script I wrote when I was a wee teenager. It's pretty wild, man. But first, this week, we're going to hear from Aaron Amendola, Bill Bullock, Nate Bechtel, Cher Vincent, and Katie Utke. We'll also get more music from myself. Dwight Hassler, Steve Persh, all the way from Milwaukee, Mary Beth Smith, Katie Johnston Smith, and Claire Friedman. So many musicians. Um, guys, remember a couple times last year I talked about how the Nerdalogs made a game called Fisticuffs? It's like Uno meets the Hunger Games? I'm sure you remember that. Well, we did that, and now, finally, you can buy it online. Go to nerdalogs.com slash fisticuffs to pick up your copy, or a copy for your friends, or even a copy for your enemies. I don't really care who you give the game to. Uh, we also put up a Learn to Play video on that site in case you want a visual and auditory aid for learning how to engage in His Majesty's bouts. Uh, before we get to the show, I want to again thank our sponsor for this episode, Emporium Arcade Bar, which is a super sweet place to go, by the way. And thanks, as always, to the Chicago Podcast Co-op. Uh, they're doing a lot to help podcasts like ours in this great city. If you want to jump on the help train, you can rate and review us on iTunes. That would be huge. And it's just a nice thing to do if you enjoy the show. I mean, come on, guys. Just, just do something nice. Kindness makes the world go round, after all. Anyway, that's all I've got for now. So enjoy Fan Fiction 4 Part 1, and come back next week for He-Man. So the first time we ever did Fan Fiction, we did nothing but Led Zeppelin songs, because they have a bunch of songs about Lord of the Rings, it turns out. And one of them, one of them we fucked up the first time. Now, I don't remember if we actually played it and then it was so bad we didn't release it, or if we never actually played it because it was too hard. But uh, to kick off the show, we're going to embrace that challenge that eluded us back in 2012. So uh, 
You ready? Yeah. You ready, brother? All right. So this is a song. Uh, it's called Misty Mountain Hop. One, two, three.
Yeah. Close enough for the podcast. Hey. hey. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't seem like it, but the timing in that song is insane. Uh, so we're going to cede our second slot of the night to our returning Nerdalogs member, Steve Persh. Yeah! So Steve drove down from Milwaukee because he wanted to share something extra special with you that does fit the theme of fan fiction. Joining me on the stage, Katie Johnson Smith, Mary Beth Smith, Claire Friedman. So, um, like... Uh, like a lot of people here I know, I've been addicted to the Hamilton musical. It's amazing, isn't it? So, uh, listening to the Hamilton musical, I loved it. I had to read the book. I read the book. And there's this amazing story about Benedict Arnold uh, and his wife. So Benedict Arnold, the guy who portrays the revolution, gets taught. Uh, his wife meets Alexander Hamilton and George Washington. And uh, the reason we know these details is from a, a letter from Hamilton to his wife, Eliza, and from the writings of Theodosia, Aaron Burr's future wife. So uh, we're going to see a song uh, portraying that. We're going to have two Margaret Arnolds, Mary Beth and Katie. And as Benedict and Hamilton, we've got Claire. All right. Here we go. You all know my husband, Mr. Benedict Arnold. His treason's been sung and carved into marble. He tried to switch sides and ditch the colonies, but he acted alone. But I say, bitch, please. Behind an ungrateful man is his greater wife. I came up with a plan, Margaret Sharp as a knife. And when I escaped, it was time to confer with my good old friend, future Mrs. Aaron Burr. The adulja, I told ya, Benedict needed prodding. It was obvious to me the revolution is rotting. Benedict, my husband, this Fortress is a joke. Red coats could knock it out in one bold stroke. Like ducks on the Hudson, what was likely to happen? Only miles away from British ruled Manhattan. I told ya, I'm no Desdemona, but if he needs another hint, I'll put on that persona. I'm 19, you're 20 years older, let's heat things up and really start to smolder. I've got an old thing, British Major Andre. I still write to him, no big deal, well anyway, it could lead an attack on West Point's defenses. And my soldiers just happen to abandon their trenches? Oh, what a good idea, my husband is the smartest. He figured out my plate, but struggles with what his part is. But if the plan fails, I'm a traitor. Where'll I go? Then I'll weep like a willow. I'll appeal like Iago. Benedict, Benedict. Where is thy honor? Benedict, boo. Here's a plan for you to ponder. Benedict, baby. You want to keep my attraction? Benedict. I demand satisfaction. Man, I'm so dumb. Now pull the strings like a puppet. Man, I'm so dumb. When all they want to do is tough it. Man, I'm so dumb. When Benedict was found out, I feigned hysterical. Innocent beyond a doubt. Hello, Mrs. Arnold. May I have a word? Hamilton, no, I don't believe what I've heard. Benedict betrayed us. I'm melting into tears. The scene is moan affecting. This woman sits here. Margaret, get dressed, and we can talk more. He didn't know who I was, Madonna or a whore, clutching my child wearing a sheer silk gown. It's all over now, to the river I'll drown. What did you know of your husband's perfidy? Theodosia, I told you, I had deniability. My baby's gonna die just like... A Styanex. Damn you, Arnold! She's clueless of the facts! As if the indulgers, I just covered my tracks. A soldier like you must have courage in stacks. Such eloquence you speak like a modern Talthibius. Perhaps you're jealous of the middle Skylar sis? Well, I'm not angelic, cause I'm witty and insidious. He almost had me caught, but I fly out the chrysalis. Man, I'm so dumb! With a stupid 
revolution. Minnesota. I'll slip past prosecution. Minnesota. The monarchy when I say yes, queen. Beth Claire. I didn't realize there was a book. I thought Lynn Manuel made all that stuff up. Oh yeah, Man, that's rad. All right, for real though, I was listening to. The, I'm sorry, this is like a stand-up bit, but I, I was honestly thinking about this on the ride over here. No wonder fucking there's like crazy ass revolutionaries today who think they can oppose the government just because they're out drinking with their buddies. Like in in Hamilton, it's four dudes at a bar who are like, "Yeah, we're gonna overthrow Britain." So like, no fucking wonder that some fucking assholes in Oregon are like, "Yeah, we're gonna hole up on this ranch and make a real change." Like, yeah, dude, history. It's history. I also feel bad because those assholes are never gonna get a musical, and that sucks. But you know, it's the way it goes, man. If you're not the first, you just you're not earning it anyway. <laughs> anyway, we have a bunch of great storytellers up this half. Like I said, first up to the stage, a good friend of the Nerdalogs, the head of the Versus the Universe Production Collective, and a wonderful human being, Mr. Aaron Amendola. Uh, it was maybe it was over a year ago where Eric Garneau called Versus the Universe Production Collective, and I said, "I'm going to steal that." And that's not one of our business cards, Eric. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, feels good to be back. Thank you, Danny Bass, for jumping in uh, to the audience right here. Um, I know that you are very, very stoked for this. Uh, so, Eric, uh, back in January, I got the invite on Facebook for your stories, and I knew I couldn't go immediately, but I reached out to Eric and I said, uh, I'm sorry, I've missed these for maybe six or nine months. I definitely want to go, but it was something, video game came out, something, I don't know. I was not able to attend. Um, but I said, I'm definitely in for February, and when he said it was fan fiction, I already knew what I wanted to talk about. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, in mid-December, the most important event of our lives happened, uh, and I'm of course referring to Star Wars Episode Seven. <laughs> Uh, Star Wars Episode Seven hit theaters, and it was actually, according to Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes, objectively good. 81% Metascore and 92% fresh rating typically means that the consensus for any piece of art is good. Because the world needs more think pieces, the internet was overrun with pieces on what Star Wars was, is, and what it will be, and people I knew individually loved, hated it, and felt meh about it. The single most damning thing that I read about Star Wars Episode Seven was that it was nothing more than a piece of fan fiction. Uh, I was at my desk, and I immediately gripped my mouse a little bit harder, because that's just one of those things where I'm like, let's get into this. Uh, let's take the statement uh, that was just made, that Star Wars Episode Seven is nothing more than a piece of fan fiction, and separate it from a few key points. One, this has nothing to do with Rey. Two, this has nothing to do with Finn. Three, this is not about Poe Dameron, the badass of Rogue Squadron, who I will be when I grow up one day. Uh, this is about looking at a piece of art and claiming that it is fan fiction and seeing that as a negative. Uh, but before we dive into that, I'm sure Eric can fact check me here. I'm going to talk about Spider-Man. So Spider-Man, that is Spider-Man because Spider-Man together is incorrect. <laughs> 
was created by Stanley and Steve Ditko in 1962. Does that sound right? Yes. Great. It might be 63. Son of a... I'm done. <laughs> I need to leave. I'm not positive. <laughs> uh, well, in the years since, Peter Parker, Gwen, uh, Stacy, Mary Jane Watson, uh, all of his companions, they've seen dozens of new writers and artists who have taken Peter Parker's tale, his theming, and have extrapolated it into a number of different ideas and stories. This has occurred for better or for worse. Uh, for every Craven's Last Hunt, we have a Clone War. For every Spider-Man Blue, we have a Spider-Man Reign. Uh, <laughs> yes, th- those were bad. Um, now, Craven's Last Hunt and Spider-Man Blue are some of my favorite, and that is uh, backed up by general opinion. Uh, they're considered to be some of the very best Spider-Man stories ever to grace the history of Marvel, and they were not written by Stan Lee or Steve Ditko. For those of you that are trying to speak up on behalf of Spider-Man Reign or the Clone War, I don't know what to tell you. You are pretty much objectively wrong at this point. Uh, 11-year-old Aaron loved those stories. In retrospect, they are not great. Uh, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko played an incredibly important role in Spider-Man's uh, history, and that is creation. It would be incredibly belittling to say that they didn't play a gigantic role in the character's history. Pivot back to Star Wars. Star Wars The Force Awakens was written by J.J. Abrams, Lawrence Kasdan, and Michael Arndt. It's important to note that George Lucas originally had ideas in place for Episodes 7 through 9, but ultimately his storylines were tossed out. I'm up, I'm not up here to debate whether or not Episode 7 is equal to or better than Episodes 1 through 6. I'm pretty sure you can draw your own conclusions on your own terms. But popular opinion and critical reviews would say that the overwhelming majority states that the movie is at least enjoyable, fun, and at least a worthy successor to Return of the Jedi. So, it bears repeating... Why is episode seven categorized as fan fiction? Why put an asterisk next to a film and try to label it that way? I've laid out Spider-Man as an example as a property that has flourished in other artists' hands, but this is pretty easy to uh, keep going on about. Superman, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Suster in 1933. Uh, Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman was published in 2006. It's widely created. It's widely believed to be one of the best works. Batman, created by Bob Kane, Bill Finger in 1939. Jeff Loeb's The Long Halloween was released in 1996. Once again, cited to be one of the best Batman stories of all time. Black Widow was conceived by Stan Lee, Don Rico, Don Heck in 1964. Meanwhile, The Name of the Rose wasn't released until 2010 and is looked at as the de facto Black Widow storyline. Breakin' and Breakin' 2 had a slightly different writing team. A story about breakdancing. And the second one is considered to be better than the first. (laughs) People often argue that... The second one really is better. We can talk about that after the show. Uh, People often argue that James Cameron's Aliens is better than Ridley Scott's original tale of Ellen Ripley and Alien. Skyfall currently holds a much higher review score than nearly every other James Bond 007 tale written by Ian Fleming. And he wrote a lot. A lot of them weren't good, but a lot of them were, too. The Wrath of the Khan, not written by Gene Roddenberry. Think about that. It isn't the fate of every creator to see their original works taken and be improved upon by a new generation. It is a gift for creators to see their uh, it is a gift for creators to see their characters be interpreted, challenged, and deciphered into new mediums. The world changes every single day, and the time and place where George Lucas shaped these characters is infinitely different than the world that we live in present day. Fan fiction does not take the place of writing an original piece of art. I'll never argue that churning out another story from a long-established character is more interesting than a new idea. Original IP always wins. However, for many, fan fiction-esque works are often a gateway to keep people uh, to, to get people into other things. I never would have read the original Batman origin had it not been for Scott Snyder's The Black Mirror. 
I never would have been into Buffy the Vampire Slayer had I not watched the Zeppo episode, which was not written by Joss Whedon. Before people groan, yes, I am ashamed. I once thought that Xander was the coolest character on the show. He is most definitely not the coolest character on the show. Here's a more esoteric example. In grade school, I was a terrible student. I was the one who listened to emo music, was labeled different by many peers, and spent two days every week getting pummeled on the playground. It was a Catholic school. did a lot for me. And it's fine. It's fine. That's something that I take with me. However, my grades began to suffer. I didn't care about much. I had gone from getting straight A's and high marks to actually worrying about getting into high schools. This is where my anxiety uh, began to manifest itself. At the age of 14, I saw The Matrix and felt inspired in a way I had never been before. My declining English grade was eating away at me, so I threw a Hail Mary to my teacher and asked her if I could write something for extra credit. So yes, at the age of 14, I wrote a 10-page fan fiction story that boosted my grade from a D-plus to a B-plus. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, I was a total Gary Sue in every sense of the word, uh, but I got to... uh, I got to go around with Neo, Morpheus, Trinity, both tanks, and uh, it really was not a good story, but I figured that if I could do that, I could do something else. Uh, eventually, this work of fan fiction led me to writing other original things. I have since completed four movies, filmed two of them. I have uh, written four music videos, filmed all four. Longer things, better things. My point is that fan fiction should not be a pejorative or an asterisk to place alongside a review. It is rather a gateway. And sure, 99% of it's pure shit. We can all say that. We know it's pure shit. Um, I'll never say every piece of fan fiction is good, but the 99% of fan fiction that ends up as my Matrix story can evolve and morph into the 1%. And let's ignore Fifty Shades of Grey, because we all know how that turned out. But if we're even thinking about writing something... I encourage you to at least try. You're not in school, but you can always keep learning. Thank you. All right, so Amazing Spider-Man number one, cover dated March 1963, but Amazing Fantasy Amazing 15, Fantasy, cover dated August 1962. So Aaron was correct. Also, if you know the comic market at all, it's crazy that it took like eight months for him to get his own book. Jesus, that's like a glacier now. Like Spider-Gwen, two months. Time before the internet, man. It was, it was a different world. You had to write letters. It's crazy. Anyway, coming next to the stage, we have a great Chicago stand-up. It's his first time doing your stories. I'm so excited to have him here. Mr. Bill Bullock. Hello. I forgot to... I printed out a thing like, you know, like... I wrote a thing, and then I printed it out like it's fucking 1996, and then I left that motherfucker right on the printer because it's not 1996. What the fuck am I carrying paper around for? So I have to pull this up on the phone, which is not ideal, but, you know, the, the story, nothing nothing is ideal in the world. Uh, so that was like, that last story was like pretty cool. It was like about fan fiction and stuff, and this is about a girl. Uh <laughs> So this is called Fan Fiction, or How It Should Have Ended. Uh, you're laughing a lot more than you're going to be. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, I, I'm going to pick this up, because this is stupid. In my version of the story, you would have told me everything. You wouldn't have been so afraid of me that you couldn't tell me how you were actually feeling. You wouldn't have been the type of per- I wouldn't have been the type of person that scared you into your emotional turtle shell. 
I wouldn't have had to find out the things that you discovered, the things that you were missing, the things that you desired from my roommate's girlfriend, who you felt more comfortable telling things about you than you did telling me. In my version of the story, when your mother pulled me aside at your sister's wedding, what she would have said was, you two are next, right? Instead of what she actually said, which is, don't fuck up my daughter's life. Uh, she wouldn't have said, hey, I think it's weird that you're not close to your family. I think that's a red flag. In my version of the story, she wouldn't have said that because she would have remembered that her husband walked out on her and she was in a broken family. And that's really weird for her to call me out on that and kind of racist, but whatever. Uh, in my version of the story, your dad wouldn't have walked out. But then maybe you wouldn't have been in Chicago and we wouldn't have met, so maybe not. But anyway, fuck him. He's an asshole. In my version of the story, we wouldn't have broken up and gotten back together and broken up and gotten back together and broken up and gotten back together and broken up and then continued fucking each other all the time like we weren't back together. We wouldn't have continued fucking when we were broken up. Yeah, we would have. That's my version of the story. We definitely would have continued fucking. <laughs> We'd probably still be fucking. Like, we would be fucking right now. I wouldn't be telling this. <laughs> but what we wouldn't have done in my version of the story is all the terrible shit we did in addition to each other while we were fucking. We wouldn't have had that time when you called me over to your house to have sex with you. And I could tell something was wrong from the moment I got there. And then I could smell something was wrong. And then I could taste something was wrong. And I could feel something was wrong when I pulled out the little red hairs in my mouth. And you're blonde and I'm black, so what the fuck, man? I wouldn't have noticed that you had fucked somebody else that same day. And you wouldn't have said, oh, when I called you on it. You might have taken a shower beforehand, maybe. I don't know, because I don't care. I was fucking other people, too. But, like, you know, I didn't need to know. I didn't need to know about it. I didn't need to know about it. You could have taken a shower. And also, like, if you didn't have enough time to take a shower, like, you could have asked me, like, hey, you know it would be really hot if we took a shower together? Because I'm dumb. Men are dumb, like they said. I would never have figured it out. You know what I mean? <laughs> In my version of the story, after the first time we ended... And we got back together and I told you that I didn't want to start again unless this was going to be it for us. That would have been it for us. That would have been forever forever for us. In my version of the story, that's what it would have been. In my version, you would have been happy. Truly, unequivocally happy. But in the real version of the story, I hope you are too. Even if I've been written out of it, even if I eventually have to write you out of my story... I hope it ends with you happy. That's how I hope it ends. Thank you, Bill. Man, that was great. Love when people come up here and do real shit. Especially on their first time, dude. First time, or second time even, I think, ever at the show. Thank you so much for sharing that. We I have... this at the last show I was at. That's right, yeah, we got a couple people here, actually, that we met at the... Uh, we did a show at the Chicago Design Museum, like, three months ago, or three weeks ago. It was super great. You're going to hear from another one of those speakers uh, from that show a little later. But right now, good friend of the Nerdalogs, uh, I was thinking about this, because once upon a time he told a story about uh, Gary Busey running rabid with a pack of, like, zombie wolves, and that wasn't in a fan fiction night, so I don't... I don't know what's in store right now, but this is Nate Bechtel. Yeah! Hi, everybody. Um, so I wrote something that half the people in this room are going to get. <laughs> Who the fuck is Gambit? I asked Kyle Talley. 
Not half. <laughs> what, Kyle Purd? Who the fuck is Gambit, I demanded. He's a fictional character. He's an X-Men, said Kyle as he stood up from the chaise lounge. <laughs> You're about to be an X-Man in my romantic history, I yelled as I threw the stacks of love letters at him. <laughs> Nate, he's not real. Look, he's not real, but I am. He moaned as he dropped the kimono. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, what about Logan? I'm pretty sure he's real. He's dating Katie. <laughs> Wrong Logan. He's another superhero. You might know him as the Wolverine, cooed Kyle. <laughs> no, that's Hugh Jackman, I protested. Nate, that's actor Hugh Jackman. No, Kyle, that's Australian Hugh Jackman. He was born with those claws. They all are. <laughs> And Kyle, I am the world's greatest Magic the Gathering player. I do not have to put up with this and get out of Downward Dog. <laughs> Kyle began to clap his cheeks. <laughs> no, I won't be distracted by your bleached and waxed starfish. Not again. <laughs> Goodbye, Kyle. I stormed out. Kyle stayed at the window, watching me leave. The rain started to pour. And he goes back to his desk. And he began to write. Flash Thompson shoved me against the locker. My wiener started to get hard <laughs> as the tears began to drip on the page. <laughs> you, Nate. To give a little context, if you go to our website, look at the clips for the Your Stories podcast and search Kyle Talley, you will find that almost everything Kyle has ever talked about is an increasingly bizarre saga of slash fiction between real-life Kyle, real-life Nate, and the X-Men Gambit and Wolverine. <laughs> this was Nate's response piece. I think you're first. I'm so glad you're reclaiming the narrative. <laughs> Too bad Kyle's not here to defend himself, but, uh, oh man. He'll be back. You know he'll be back. This is only going to get weirder. And usually Kyle tells these stories at our Christmas episodes, which is even crazier. But we all love it. We all love it. All right. So I mentioned that there was another speaker here tonight that we met at the Chicago Design Museum show. Uh, she was super wonderful. Um, can't wait to hear what she has to say. She is the uh, one of the hosts of the tech podcast, Open Ended. This is Cher Vincent. Long before MySpace was a music blog and LiveJournal got taken over by the Russians, I was living in New York City, having just finished a visiting semester at NYU. The year was 2008, and I, again, Sheriff Vincent, was embarking on the, my greatest adventure yet, moving in with my boyfriend. We were solid. I mean, I hated every day of my life, and I thought he was the worst. I wanted to kill him constantly, and I just, I hated him. But we were solid, you know? And we were making it work, and... We were, you know, why make a complicated relationship more difficult than putting ourselves into a small 350-square-foot apartment in Williamsburg, New York? Like, why we do that? Because I was 20, and I can do anything. But, of course, all my school chums had made 
their return back home to their respective cities. And my boyfriend's friends were mean and lived in Bushwick. So I spent most of my time at home watching whatever pirated television I could get my hands on. And one of those classic televisions, television shows that I got was this small Canadian show called Degrassi, The Next Generation. <laughs> it's real good if you haven't heard of it. Um, I was several seasons behind, and with all the free time on my hands, um, only 15 hours a week was dedicated to entering at a music blog that will not be named. Uh. <laughs> I hid behind my covers, and I got lost in an issue of the week that this beautiful mess of a show presented to me. However, there was two characters that kept me riveted, seeing reflections of myself and my life in them. Craig Manning, the cocaine-abusing bipolar musician, and Ellie Nash, the journalist that self-mutilated. Granted, I didn't cut myself, but I felt every moment of self-loathing in hers. And while my boyfriend didn't do coke, he was a musician, and he had his own mental baggage. Watching these two characters navigate the relationship and seeing it fall apart left me really confused and frustrated. And when I finally caught up with the series, I was livid. I was being away from my shitty boyfriend. Like, how can they couldn't get their shit together? So, on one sweltering evening in June, I went to a site where all my issues and resolutions could be found. Live journal. I went down the rabbit hole of online community and forums and eventually stumbled on stories inspired by the show written by its fans. This idea of fan fiction was foreign to me, but I quickly absorbed every story I could get my hands on until, of course, I started thinking of my own. Because I took a creative writing class before, and I was way funnier than these basic bitches, so let's do this. <laughs> The floodgates burst open with my many stories, adventures, and complications that Craig and Allie could conquer together for weeks. And then a funny thing happened. I started getting fans. Ah. Fans of my fan fiction. Oh my god, this is amazing! That was a typical response, mostly punctuated with several emoticons, and I also got followers and favoring alerts. It was really awesome, because what a time to be alive and piggyback on someone else's creation and use it to my own agenda. <laughs> <laughs> I was drunk with power, and I started to forget about the way my life, my real life, Craig Manning, was growing more and more distant, and how I wanted to kill him less, but also missed him less. That eventually I was putting the words I wish my boyfriend would say to me in my fanfiction, Craig, and how the Ellie in my stories said the words I wish I had the courage to say to him aloud. I was so far away from actually expressing my distress in my real life relationship that I completely lived vicariously through this couple. They were my escape. It was around this time, about two months into my obsession, that I started getting reviews from one reader. Her words were thoughtful and kind, sometimes detailed and well-informed, or just an interesting response to a quote from my story. And so I went to her profile, and we found out that I found out that we had stories in common, other shows we liked, and I began reviewing her stuff. Before long, reviews turned into DMs, then into emails then into AIM and G-Chat, and eventually texting and phone calls. And suddenly I wasn't in New York City anymore. I wasn't with that boyfriend any longer. I was finishing college and starting to work and living with roommates and creating life for myself outside of that destructive relationship. But this woman was still there, cheering me on. Brandy is one of my best friends. I talk to her at least five times a day on any given day. She sends me silly gifts and inspirational quotes, mails me amazing gifts and cards and never falters for her love and admiration for me. This is the person I want to talk to the most when something significant happens in my life, good or bad. 
She tells me her hopes and dreams and her fears way out in Kansas City. And I talk to her about the crazy shit that goes on in my life, like my depression or whatever crazy idea I think about taking over the world. And I've only met her once in her life at her wedding, but she's an integral part of my life. So I'd like to give a thanks to Grassy Fanfiction. Because little did I know that in that cramped, sad little apartment in Williamsburg all those years ago, it would give me one of the greatest gifts I've ever been disposed, dis- bestowed. A friend. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, that was great. Fantastic. All right, guys, we have one more thing we're going to do before we take an intermission. Uh, this is going to be a hybrid story song, I believe. Let's call up Katie Utke. There you are. Do you, you have a story with this? Yes? Uh, I have a little intro. It's not anything super extreme. So, hey, guys. Uh, I am Disney trash. I love Disney. It is crazy how much I love Disney. The three, the four things I can talk about are Harry Potter, Disney, musical theater, and feminism. So, um, so my favorite Disney princesses when I was growing up in the 90s were Ariel from The Little Mermaid and Pocahontas from Pocahontas. So, with the help of Eric, I'm going to do a mashup tribute thigamadoo of Colors of the Wind and Part of Your World. <laughs> Are we standing? Uh, I can, I'm standing. You can okay. sit if you want. No, I'll stand too. That's fine. <laughs> I'm in this. All right, cool. All right. All right. You think I'm an ignorant savage, and you've been so many places. I guess it must be so. But still, I cannot see if the savage one is me. How can there be so much that you don't know? You don't know. I want to be where the people are. I want to see, want to see them dancing or walking around on those, what do you call them? Feet. Oh, right, feet, thanks. <laughs> Flipping your fins, you don't get too far. Legs are required for jumping, dancing, strolling along down a... What's that word again? Street. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun. Wandering free, wish I could be part of Colors of the wind <clears throat> Come run the hidden pine trails of the forest Come taste the sun-sweet berries of the earth Come roll in all the riches all around you And for once never wonder what there The heron and the otter are my friends. 
together in a circle in a hoop that never ends how high does the sycamore grow what's a fire and why does it Your Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy your stories, you might also like Open Ended. Hosts Cher Vincent and James T. Green take a weekly dive into topics like tech news and code, code switching, and gender. Uh, all wrapped in the comfort of listening to two best friends disagree. For more on Open Ended, go to openended.fm. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all, thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.